It's Garden of Eden, and I'm your host. I talk about what I like most. Garden of Eden. <laughs> As usual, a big shout out to Joy Frankie for helping me produce that. Thank you, Joy. Um, and today is a very special day because I'm joined with my mom. Hello. Say hello. Um, and she came into the studio for the first time ever. It's really exciting because she listens to 88.9 all the time. And to get it to see it in action is pretty cool. I'm among Garden of Eden's biggest fans. And <laughs> it was an absolute joy to get a tour of the station today. It's uh, quite impressive here. Yes, I'm glad you got to come in and see it. Um, so I have you in here to be talking about graphic design. Though we could probably talk about so many different things. We're both very conversational. Um, we're going to be talking about graphic design because my mom here is a graphic designer, a really good one. Um, do you want to give some background as to how you got into graphic design, how you became a graphic designer? Sure. Um, well, when I was your age, I didn't know what a graphic designer was. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. I, I did have a friend whose dad was an illustrator a professional illustrator and I always thought everything he had going on was engaging and interesting and really you can make money doing that yeah. um, I discovered graphic design well maybe I was a freshman or sophomore in college I thought I was going to major in um, Right. I was really interested in writing, journalism, and uh, political science, and I took all these art classes as electives, just like you're taking radio as an elective in high school. And uh, I just filled my schedule to the max, taking as many extra art classes as I could. And one day, one of my professors said to me, um, this isn't something you can do on the side. <laughs> This is, and he encouraged me to consider graphic design as a career. Um, I went to visit the graphic design program at University of Kansas, fell in love, and uh, that's how I became a graphic designer. Something I something I didn't really think about is that. Do you think I I had an easier time knowing what graphic design was and discovering it because computers are so much more advanced now and the technology for doing graphic design in Illustrator and all the Adobe platforms and everything? Absolutely. Doing graphic design work is so much more accessible. Mm -hmm. And no matter what career you have now, um, and I'm going to quote one of our friends, uh, Megan Han used to say this when she was promoting art in the schools. She would say, um, no matter what your job or career is having aesthetic literacy is so important mm -hmm. and so even if you're a teacher maybe a second grade teacher and you have to put a slide up in front of the class that's graphic design yeah um most of the school work you've done since a very young age you've had to use graphic design it's been part of the requirement whereas when um when i was growing up almost everything was written by hand it was really not until I was older where even a typewriter entered my uh, studies. Yeah, because at first when you said, oh, I was in college, when I, I was like, whoa, that's so late. But really, when you think about how advanced graphic design was back then, it's not late at all. Mm -hmm. But um, you've worked on 
so many different projects, done so many different things, worked different places, and used your graphic design talents all over the place. Um, is there anything that's been really, really notable in, in your career when it comes to graphic design, like maybe doing an art project at the school or, or a specific job you did? Oh, that's a great question, and I have many answers because much of the work I did, I really enjoyed. Um, I would probably say the work I did at Marwin was the and most. Wait, do you want to explain what Marwin overall, is really quick? Yes, I know um, lots about Marwin, but the most that. that was the most fulfilling work that I did, and I think it's because um, of the mission of Marwin as well as the artistic freedom I had and the connection with the client. Um, the Marwin provides art education for students in grades six through 12, uh, mainly underserved in the city of Chicago. And um, it's robust um, art curriculum after school and on the weekend. And there's also a component of work so um, there are classes kids can take, and then there are jobs. For example, maybe painting a mural at a Whole Foods market oh. or um, doing um, the entrepreneur, per, bleh, excuse me, <laughs> entrepreneurial program, creating art for a line of greeting cards or creating um, painted pieces for art auction. Um, so were you um, instructing these kids and guiding them and giving them direction? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I had many roles when I was there. Um, one was as a teacher. I did that for several years, uh, including when you were young, until you were about three years old. Um, but prior, well, before and after that and during, I did graphic design work for them. So I helped them redesign a logo and create course catalogs and things that now would be all online. I did paper catalogs, oh. uh, annual reports, and invitations to special events. I think this sounds like something I would like because I like that you have one job, but it's kind of an umbrella because you got to teach and you got to work on logos and you got to do other various graphic design projects. Um, and I don't know, that does sound really fulfilling and interesting. It was, and it was um, multi-phased. So I got to know Marwin when I was working in um, a PR firm, and I was introduced to them as a nonprofit I might be interested in, and I worked with them as a volunteer. Then um, I did go to work with them full-time um, in their marketing and development uh, area and then I became an artist teacher so these are different jobs uh -huh, that you all that had I had Marwin. there and then after I left Marwin because um, I became a mom <laughs> I, I left working there full-time and I started my own design firm Deb Voss design and they were a client Oh, so so these are different jobs. I didn't have one job that had all that going on. It at was once. it was more that through Marwin you had all of these opportunities. Um, so I I feel like we've gotten a pretty good background uh, how you got started in graphic design, um, and I know that you have a lot of so 
you've probably acquired a lot of tips and tricks throughout this process of learning how to use all these platforms and learning what goes well together and what doesn't. So before we take a break, do you want to give some tips and tricks for a successful graphic design? Oh boy, do you have a specific yeah. question in mind? So, because I have lots of tips and tricks. So I think, so imagine you're walking down the street in Capitol Hill in Seattle and you see a poster on one of those lamp poles, one of yes. those telephone poles, wood <laughs> poles, yeah. Um, and it's it's a poster. What What makes it successful over another poster on that same pole? I have lots of thoughts on that. <laughs> I used to teach this, in fact, and it's, um, I think the most successful posters have to have three levels of engagement. And one is that thing that captures your attention. Sometimes it's type, sometimes it's an illustration, sometimes it's a photograph. It's a compelling something, usually big, that you can see from across the street mm -hmm. or from 25 yards away. And it lures you in and it grabs your interest. Then, has another layer that when you're maybe 10 feet away, you might find out what this poster is mm -hmm. for. So it's a concert, it's a band, it's a speaker, it's an event that you're getting some details about. Maybe it's a time and a date and a location. Um, and then you get a little closer. The last piece. <laughs> the final layer you discover what <laughs> some designers refer to as that eye candy. Mm -hmm. That like little extra visual. And it might be just a fun little written blurb about the event. Or it mm -hmm. might be a little visual that just ties it all together. The eye too once or you're just gives you a little more. So that at every level of viewing the poster, you have a new discovery. And then also, everything doesn't have to be the same size. Everything, you know, a lot of times when I see not so successful posters, sticking with our example, it's because it's just trying to do everything. The images uh -huh. is filling the page, the type's filling the page. There's just way too much. Going so on. your tendency as a viewer is to ignore it because it's just too much. I. Really, I appreciate you breaking it down into three steps because posters specifically, it is our example, but I've been designing so many posters lately. As I've learned how to use um, Adobe Illustrator, I have the skills to make posters generally quick for a lot of different things. So whether it be like an event like um, Mercer Idol is coming up at the high school or a basketball game or I recently did a po <laughs> I recently designed a poster for a poster design contest, but it was to advertise the contest, not as a submission, which is hard to say. But um, I always go up to my mom and I'm like, I don't know how to fit all of this type. I don't know what to do th with this. I don't know what to put where, because I find that it's so easy to have a poster that just looks crammed and you can't tell what it's trying to say. And it's little, little things like making a type smaller and making one bigger that completely transforms it and makes it successful. And I, so I feel like all of those steps have kind of been a part of my process as I've gotten better and better at making posters. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever said this to you as I just said it here, 
But you do that quite well. You have a natural instinct. Thank you. And a lot of your posters that you can see all around the island. I think I get it from you, though. (laughs) You've taught me well. So I think that this is a good place to take a break because after the break, we're going to be getting into more um, fonts and logos and what good fonts are and what bad fonts are, etc. That's going to be really fun. So stay tuned. Um, We'll see you after the break. It's Eden back on 88.9 The Bridge talking about graphic design with my mom, Deb. Hello. Um, thank you for coming back to talk with me, Mom. Uh, and now, okay, in the in the last segment, we talked more about my mom's background in graphic design, how she got into it, um, and other things about her own background. And now we're going to be really taking advantage of her expertise, and she's going to be talking about more of the fundamentals of graphic design, like fonts and logos and what makes a successful font and an unsuccessful font um because i find her advice on these things really really interesting because they're so applicable to all aspects of of business and advertising and media uh my favorite i think talk to talk about with my friends in general and i'm just i don't know i'm kind of a fiend for fonts so what okay First, I, I found it really interesting when you break broke up. What was it? The difference between a font family and a font, a font and a font group, or what was it? Well, people often say font to mean the style of letters that they're talking about, um, but a font is a member of a type family. So the way I've explained it to you before is that. Um, you know, the Voss family is the font family or the type family, excuse me. The type family, font family is interchangeable, but a type face is like the Voss family. And then the font is it, like you. It's like Eden. You're a font in the family. And so um, a font might be the bold version. And then another font might be the italic version. Or bold italic. Right. Or it uh, goes on and on and on. (laughs) So many combinations. So I think that it's a very common misconception that so could you take like Times New Roman? Is Times New Roman a font or a family? It's a family. So that's interesting. And then Times New Roman regular is a font. Because because when you say what's your favorite font, people will always say like, Oh, it's Times New Roman. Times New Roman. Or they'll say Times New Roman is boring. Yeah, a boring font. Yeah. Yeah. But wow. I disagree. Oh. <laughs> Good, me too. Uh so now I want to hear about your favorite font. Oh, do I have to have one favorite? You can it can be anything. It can be I, your favorite for various things or in general or I think so I have two favorites that have been favorites ever since I discovered typefaces Mm -hmm. and I think personally the most powerful design typically incorporates more than one typeface Mm -hmm. so 
what you'll hear as a general rule for graphic design, but remember that rules are to be broken, um, <laughs> yes. is to use a sans serif font or typeface with um, a serif font or typeface. So my favorite serif typeface. And do you want to say, explain family. what a serif is? Ooh, um, those are those little... Like when you look at um, the... On Google Docs, I feel like people would know this. So on Google Docs, there's a font Arial, and it's it's just straight lines. But then if you look at Times New Roman, it has those little curves at, at the top off of the edges. Little feet. It looks a little a little, a little fancier. Decoration. Um, the fancy the fancy little decorations on Times New Roman, those are serifs. Nice way to say it. <laughs> and then italics is when it's curved on its side, or when it's like slanted, kind of. Yeah. So now you can, sorry, carry on. I just want to make sure that we are explaining everything. So I was going to share my favorite typeface that is sans serif and my favorite that's serif. And my favorite serif is Garamond. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm so fond of it is because if you look at the typeface or the whole family, every single font is gorgeous. So I love the italic. I love the lowercase. I love it in all caps. I love it bold. I, it's so it's very versatile. Every member of the family is beautiful, yeah. and they all work well together. Whereas there are some typefaces where you see a specific font, and the italic is not really that beautiful. Um, <laughs> so that's why I'm very fond of Garamond. Plus, it's a classic. It's withstood the test of time, so it's very easy to read. You'll see a lot of novels. When you see a real long novel... It's usually in Garamond? Not necessarily in Garamond, but in a uh, font similar to Garamond. Uh, and anybody listening, I recommend wherever you are, if you can look up what Garamin looks like or later look yes. up what it looks like so that you can you can see what we're talking about with its successfulness yes and uh flipping uh the conversation over to the sans serif my favorite so wait so you you say serif and sans serif does sans serif mean no no curvy things no serifs ah. so in fact do you are you familiar with sans I know you took Spanish, but if you took French... <laughs> Does sans mean without? Sans is without. Ah. And so basically, sans serif is no serif. No serifs. Okay, sans that makes serifs, sense. No serifs. So, sorry, um, I didn't mean to go on a, another tangent. What's your favorite sans serif font? You know, I go back and forth, but I think the one that's been a favorite for the longest is Futura. Which, um, are you familiar with Futura? Yes, I'm familiar with Futura. It's, again, now I don't love the italic. That's the only thing here is I don't love the font Futura italic. However, um, I like it ultra thin. I like it thin. I like it bold. I like it extra bold. It works for headlines when it's extra bold. It works... For body copy, it can be very beautiful. I think it would be hard to typeset an entire novel in, in Futura. Futura. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look into that and see if I. Uh, but I don't think it's the most. Um, 
Oh, some people say that uh, it causes a little fatigue to read a, a it, sans yeah. serif that has some personality that small over a length of time. It, it is kind of odd that books are often in really simple serif fonts. There, you you rarely see um, like a novel that's in a a, a sans serif font. Exactly, and I've heard various uh, opinions on this. Um, one thing is that when you have a serif type. You don't need as much leading to have it and look what is letting? beautiful. Letting is the space between each line of words. So when you're on Google Docs or Word and you want your essay to be double spaced instead of single spaced, that's a the lot of letting. Is letting. And that letting, that term goes back to um, the distance of an actual piece of lead. It was put between oh. types on a letter, uh, blocks of type on a letterpress. Whoa. So letting really goes back to lead. It was just a plain piece of lead. But um, where was I going with this? You were talking So you need yeah. more letting if to make a sans serif font read well. Oh, I know. So when you have more space between lines of words, you need more paper. You'll need more pages ah, in your and book. It makes less sense. And it makes it a heavier book. And it also makes it what? More expensive. A lot more expensive. So um, I think that's one reason. I have heard that the serif type is also a lot easier to read. However, the interesting thing about this is that it's not true for signage. Titles. So it makes it easier to read on your you know, on your novel, or even on your Kindle. Uh-huh. But um, as far as a highway sign goes... Like a billboard. Or think of the classic highway sign that's green with the white, or the reflective white oh, letters. Oh, yes, yes. Those are almost always sans serif. And in fact, they're recently... I say recent, probably within the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> there was some research in a new... Uh, I don't know if it's just a font or if it was a typeface because it seems like all the letters are the same weight. But um, it's like Highway Sands or something. That oh, was that's, that's perfect to read on. Mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. see, so legibility what, varies depending on what the purpose is. I just This is what I mean when I say that graphic design is just so versatile. It's used in so many things and you don't even realize. And another thing that... So this can like change the... Um, I, I don't know, identity of a company in my head when it has a bad logo. Because I'll see the logo, I'll be going I'll be going into a store and see the logo, and if it's bad, I'm immediately kind of like, mm, kind of iffy. But if it's strong, you're like, whoa. So I just wanted to kind of transition maybe into talking about logos, kind of like how we talked about fonts, and what makes a good, strong logo. Well, I think what makes a good, strong logo is what makes any good, strong graphic design, which is a good, strong concept. Mm -hmm. So the client needs to be able to articulate what their product or their, their service, what their it's values. about. Yes, what it's about. What's the personality of the company? What does the company do? And then it takes working with a graphic designer to communicate that 
concept into a visual into a visual that you can just within seconds and even just if it's the size of a dime be able to communicate what that's about so a a good logo is one that means something and can communicate a message without needing a description along with it exactly and it doesn't necessarily have to say everything about the company Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to say what the company does what the company's name is what the personality of the company is but it needs to say something just one of those (laughs) one of one part of those things so this is why we've talked about this before about the amazon logo how that is a really successful one um, there's the, I, I think this is pretty renowned in graphic design, the FedEx logo. Yes, yes. So if you see a FedEx truck driving around, I'm, I'm sure many of you have noticed, but there's an arrow implemented into the logo between the E and the X, and, and it's moving packages, and it's an arrow moving forward, and the type is easy to read, and it's just really successful. And I, I think that's a good example because it's so simple, yet it's so distinguishable and conveys part of the company's message. Mm-hmm. So, I I don't know. I agree. Do you have any other other um, comments about maybe what makes a bad logo or what some of your favorites are? I prefer not to talk about specific examples of bad logos. But oh yeah, that is <laughs> yeah. some of the things like I guess if you feel like you could plug in any company name then it's probably not a very strong logo. Oh, that's interesting. So Amazon, with its lowercase and its little smile, just has like, and we can debate what Amazon means to different people, but it has sort of a happy, here's my package, and it's Mm -hmm. clean, and it's here on time. And um, I like, so... That it seems like that logo could only be for Amazon. The logos yeah. I don't like are the ones where it's just like a, a ray of sunshine or something. or something that doesn't really. You can plug in any Anything. company. Because um, I know a logo is is one of the things that it like defines your company. It's what you're known for. Like every, I think most people know the FedEx logo. Most people can think on the spot about what the Target logo is. Say mm-hmm. you know it's a big red Target. And I, I think that that's really valuable and special that through one little tiny visual you can define basically your entire company. Mm-hmm. And I think we are coming to a close in talking about graphic design. Um, but just before we sign off, if there is anybody listening out there who really wants to get into graphic design, but they're like, oh, I don't have artistic talent or I don't know what to start with, I don't know what to look for. What would you say to someone looking to get started or maybe wanting to pursue an interest in graphic design or see what it's all about? Well, lucky for you, unlike me, you have graphic design classes you can take here at Mercer Island High School. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the first thing to do is just start doing it, whether it's in a sketchbook for yourself or like you're doing with posters and logos for um, school projects. Oh, and another, wait, 
just really fast. Another interesting thing, if you're looking to get into it, if you're a student listening, you can get all of the Adobe, if you go to Mercer Island High School, you can get all of the Adobe platforms um, for free through your school email until you graduate high school. So that's just a side thing. So you can learn how to use Illustrator and Photoshop and whatever other platforms, which yes. is super cool. That's such a cool resource and everybody should take such advantage of it. Such a great resource. But anyway, continue on, sorry. Well, the other thing is to start maybe a scrapbook or maybe a, a Pinterest page collecting things that you like. What do you respond to? Mm -hmm. Like, you know how there's certain graphics on skis or skateboards and you could just start, you know, looking when you get catalogs cut it out or posted on Pinterest, start creating a collection of things that inspire you that you think are cool. And then when you start to reflect on that, you can ask yourself why. Yeah. And then start creating your own. Not it, copying other people's work, but inspired by other people's work. And, and then, then kind and of you build can find from your there. style too. Yes. And instead of just sitting down because now you've got a copy of Illustrator, I'm gonna make a poster, have a collection of posters that you've responded to, and then it's easier to say, Huh, would you look at this? All the posters I like have a lot of negative space. Uh-huh. All the posters I like have different sizes of type. I think something that is really easily accessible that to make your own, I guess we're kind of talking about mood boards, um, is to just collect magazines throughout your house, ones that might go in junk mail, or one that's just been lying around forever, and just, just cut out pictures out of it that you like, take a glue stick, glue it onto a piece of cardboard, and it creates this really cool visual that's super easy, inexpensive to do, and I don't know, it, you can kind of, it reflects your style a little bit to figure out which fonts are strong. And magazines also have so many um, like editorials and advertisements and fonts and colors. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I don't know, it's it's graphic design in your hands in one book. Exactly. So, ooh, another good place to go to get inspired is like go into Island Books and just look at book covers uh -huh. that get your attention. Yes, they always That's say... That's similar to posters. They say don't judge a book by its cover, but to be honest, if, if a book has really, really strong graphic design, you're going to gravitate towards it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've done this many times. I have a problem with it. It's hard not to judge a book by its cover, but I don't know. When it has good design, it makes all the difference. So, do you have anything else to say? I know Coyote Central has... Uh, some design classes, but I don't know how old. There's also, how we live in Seattle, there's tons of art classes that you can take, but I think as a student who was so intimidated by Illustrator and learning how to use all these platforms, is that just getting start. started just is the start. hardest part. Just get started and just learn. People think it's so impressive when I can pump out a poster that looks visually pleasing. I think a lot of people can do it if they just take the time to learn. So that's my tip, I guess. And then I think we're coming to a close, but this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. It was my pleasure. I can, Thank you. I love hearing about graphic design. It's one of my biggest interests right now. Maybe I'll go down the same path as my mom and become a graphic designer too. Um, but anyone who's listening, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Um, this has been Eden on 88.9 The Bridge with my show Garden of Eden. <laughs>